The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. President Carter, what a thrill, first of all, to meet you. And I kind of hope in a way I'm looking at my future, but I doubt it. Um, <laughs> you know, we hear about presidents getting in office and how quickly it ages people. And here you are at 92, and this is the most basic of questions, but what is the secret? Well, I do what my wife tells me to do <laughs> to start with. And I've had the same wife all, a long time, yeah. as you know. And uh, we have been very lucky with our health. I've had cancer pretty badly, you know, in my liver and my brain. But so far, I'm, I'm free of cancer. We check it pretty regularly. And uh, we kind of eat the right thing. We live a good life. And we, and we work hard on habitat which keeps us young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. President, my name's Jay Lynn. It's yeah, a pleasure please. to meet you. I'm wondering, when you look around here, when you take a peek to the left and to the right and you see what is happening here and you feel what is happening here, what do you think and how does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel very proud of all the workers here. You know, everybody who volunteers for Habitat is kind of a special person. If they weren't special, they wouldn't volunteer. They would just watch other people do their work. And they're dedicated, I think, to helping people who are in need. And uh, we get to know the homeowner families who are our heroes on these, on these jobs. And uh, it makes us have a, a way in a, in a fashion, if we're well off like we are, most of us, to uh, connect with folks that are not so lucky as we are in a very equal way. So I have found in all my 36 years of working on Habitat that uh, the folks that are homeowners that haven't had a, a good house in the, in the past are just as smart as I am and just as hardworking and just as dedicated, just as ambitious, and their family values are just as good as mine. So it kind of equalizes everybody, but it, it lifts up the ones that are in need. Beautiful. You lead by example. Uh, first of all, thank you very much. It's an honor. Uh, you lead. You lead by example, and uh, and and again, you've, you you are watching. You use the saw, and your your wife observing and making sure that all of those. What do they say? Measure twice, cut once. Is that the that's deal, right? right? We, well, yeah. We, that's what we. Most of the time, we do that. Yeah, exactly. When I don't, my wife tells me to, to do yeah, it better. You just keep following the rules, and that makes complete sense. Um, but you lead by example, and now you're mentoring others. I mean, there's thousands of people here in the Edmonton area that are doing just that, and a couple of very special people near and dear to our heart. I work at Kissin' Country Radio, and we've known Garth Brooks since he started. And uh, talk about Garth and Tricia and the fact that they now are, you know, following in your footsteps and, and doing this because of what you and your well, wife have done. I would done. say that Garth and Tricia are probably our two best volunteers as far as getting work done. They are dedicated. They're hardworking. They never stop. They can do the biggest jobs. Uh, Garth can lift anything, I think, that a human, another human being could lift. And uh, Tricia doesn't mind get up in the top of the rafters and, and swinging a hammer, you know, and holding on with one hand. I've seen her do some, you know, very courageous things. So they're both precious volunteers, and they, and they set an example for everybody around them. Mr. President, let's talk a little bit about the volunteers. Um, okay. I look like I probably spent most of my time sleeping through church services, but there's one or two that I did listen. <laughs> and I remember a pastor saying, preaching on leadership one time and saying, if you think you're a good leader, the test is look behind you and see, is anyone following? And I thought, that's really good advice. We have 850 volunteers here. I mean, I'm asking the man who would know. What, what in your estimation, makes a good leader? 
Well, I think a good leader's got to be dedicated to his uh, job, or whatever it might be, whether you're president of the United States or, you know, working on a farm like I, I've done most of my life. And um, I think you have to be not only dedicated but willing to, to go ahead and, and take a chance when you have doubt about success. You need to be able willing to take a chance. You need, you need to, to make sure that what you do is worthwhile and, uh, and just stick to it even when the dif difficulties arise. I'd say those things would make, make a good leader. And the main thing is to believe in what you're doing and, and work hard at it. And then don't, don't worry about supervising the people behind you because they'll pretty much follow in your footsteps. If you, if you, if you set some good footsteps, one of them will follow. Awesome. Sir, over the years, I have done uh, num a number of stories on Habitat for Humanity across right. the country in the cities that I have worked in. It has seemed at times there are people who are not supportive of Habitat. We have the not in my backyard type of people. Sure. And I wonder, number one, what you say to those people when we know the good that comes out of projects like this. And number two as well, it seems at times affordable housing isn't on a priority list for numerous levels of government. Why do you think that is and what needs to be done to better address affordable housing in North America, in this country? Why, why isn't it a popular topic? Well, I think because people are not aware of what Habitat does. <clears throat> We've seen in many places where we go back to a, to a site where we built 35 years ago that the Habitat homes are always well kept because the people have done their work on their own house, they're proud of it, and uh, we've never seen a broken window or an unmowed lawn or graffiti on the walls of a Habitat project. And most of the times when Habitat moves into a, a dilapidated or poor community, uh, people sometimes are, are averse to having them come in, but then they see the quality of the Habitat houses themselves and then see the pride with which their homeowners take care of their homes. And it sets an example a much higher example for the people who already live there. So quite often Habitat surprises people. And for a, a community at large, you take a Habitat homeowner family where they have been dependent on public welfare or you know help from the government, and all of a sudden they become full taxpayers. Uh, they become uh, equal citizens and they, and they have confidence in themselves maybe for the first time. And for many Habitat homeowners, I would say it might be the first time they've ever experienced real success in life. You know, they've tried things that didn't work. They've had people promise them things that didn't come true. And then they work on a Habitat house and we promise them such and such a thing. And, uh, and they see it comes true and, and they've done it the work themselves. So I think it just changes the attitude of a whole family life. Can I just quickly, what does the government have to do to better address affordable housing? Well, I think government has to do two things. One, we, we've shown some foreign countries how to take advantage of a habitat pattern. Like in Peru, for instance, when we first built homes in Peru, we built 440-something homes, 13,000-foot uh, altitude, at a, and uh, on, the, on the border of Lake Titicaca. And the president of, of uh, Peru then watched what we did, and he set up a program in, uh, in Peru after we left uh, to provide very low interest rate loans for people, like 2% interest rate, and they could get their ultimate building materials at that, at that low cost. 
and then he provided uh, experienced builders uh, to teach them how. So the Habitat family quite often worked a whole year to finish their house, but they did all the work themselves. And we've done the same thing in Baltimore, Maryland, and in the United States. So I think we can set a, a high example for governments to see what can be done if, they, if we have confidence in, in the future homeowners. Bruce Bowie, Jalen Nye, and Chris Sheets, the hammers continue to build. They're working behind us. Uh, they really are, and we're going to get you back to work as well. But you talk about people being unsure with exactly what Habitat for Humanity is. And I'll tell you now, uh, there's a lot more people understanding in Edmonton, thanks to you coming. And no disrespect to all of the volunteers here, but when a, a president of the United States comes and he brings some pretty, uh, pretty uh, cool celebrities with him doing the exact same thing, it helps bring it to the forefront, and it's been like the number one story all week long. That's important to happen here in Edmonton and around the world when you do this, right? Well, you know, we, can, we only work five days a year on Habitat full-time, but uh, Habitat goes on the other, other 51 weeks in a year. And so everybody that watches what we do here and, and are inspired by this or encouraged by this to help other people and, and to do something worthwhile and enjoyable, as a matter of fact, uh, can, can volunteer the rest of the time. And whether you just want to sweep floors or whether you actually want to learn how to hammer a nail or, you know, a cut a board or something like that, uh, it's always an exciting, gratifying job. I never have worked on a Habitat project in my life that I didn't come away feeling that I got more out of it than I put into it. And, and sometimes, you know, we're, we're, I'm 93 years old and still, still working at it, and a lot slower than I was when I was only 80 years old. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of going downhill, but still... <laughs> get a lot out of it every time. And, and I think everybody that puts in work on Habitat learns that this it's worthwhile for the homeowners, but it's, I think the people that volunteer get as much out of it as they put into it. Mr. President, I'm not buying that because I came in uh, this morning and they told me that you come in, you put your heart out on, you and Rosen, you put your head down and you work until quitting time. So I don't think you're slowing down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Well, um, I, I have a, a quick question to you as well. Right. And, and, and you mentioned you have to limit the number of bills you do now. And we're just so blessed to have you here. Why did you pick Edmonton, Alberta, Canada? Why this one? Well, we go overseas one year and then in the United States the next year. Last year we were in Memphis, Tennessee. Next year we'll be in South Bend, Indiana. And so we kind of cheat on Canada because Canada is just like the United States, mm -hmm. but we call it a foreign country. So uh, that's one thing we're always eager to come back to Canada. Uh, the hospitality here is superb. And we had heard about the Edmonton uh, project work, how much they have done already without us. Uh, it's one of the, the finest local habitat organizations that I know of. And, uh, and we have not been disappointed at all. And, and I would say that when we get through with this build here, we'll look back on it and say, well, it's one of the best we've ever had. And uh, it's because the people in Edmonton work so hard to make habitat a success, you know, whether we're here or not. So we're grateful to the people, all the volunteers that have come here to Edmonton and all the people here in Edmonton who work year-round when we're not here. Sir, um, in Edmonton, the work to end homelessness and provide homes for low income and the working poor continues. There's been a, yeah. It's been put on a priority list specifically by our mayor. I'm curious to know if you believe we are building bridges, are we making gains in, in, in minimizing the gap between the rich and the poor? I think so. You know, when I was in office, 
the gap between the rich and poor in the United States of America was much less than it is now. It's grown every year mm -hmm. because of tax breaks and that sort of thing. I won't go into detail about that. But I think one of the best equalizers that I've ever seen is, is Habitat for Humanity. Because a family uh, that has their own home and, and they help to build it themselves become very proud of their own lives. Their children make better grades in school. Uh, they get them the kids off the street that have formerly been ashamed of where they live and now they're proud of where they live. And it cuts down on juvenile delinquency and crime. And it also makes uh, you know, a, a neighborhood that has a Habitat Project uh, take pride in, in itself. Uh, in New York City, for instance, where we started out and have been back since then, uh, we had uh, some very dilapidated houses around where we built a Habitat house. But we, we had a, a few extra hours one afternoon, and we just began to clean up all the empty lots. Mm -hmm. They were filled with garbage and trash and old abandoned automobiles. And we cleaned up those lots, and we plowed them up. I'm a farmer, and planted uh, crops and flowers, and so we turned over... I think 100 square feet to every family in the whole neighborhood, not just habitat houses, but all around it. And so the whole, the whole community, a big community, became beautified and productive. And so the people were proud of growing their own vegetables and growing their own flowers for the house. So, so the, the whole attitude of habitat is we, we've got a good life now. Let's make life better for us and for the people that live around us. On Sunday, uh, you made mention to the fact that you talk about Canada, you can kind of use it as a foreign country, so you've got a good excuse to come and visit. But you also mentioned you say thank you when you come into Canada each and every time. Why, why do you do that? Well, when about thir almost 35 years ago, we had hostages held in Iran. And the Canadian government and the people in the embassy in Iran showed tremendous leadership, particularly uh, the... the uh, the ambassador there, Ken uh, did, uh, did a great job there. And the foreign minister, uh, McDonald, and, and, and the prime minister, uh, Joe Clark, uh, joined in with the whole government and people of Canada in a very secret way. And so I'd say in one of the most emotionally charged and, and uh, challenging time of our life in America, the Canadians came to our rescue. And so I, I just kind of took an oath to myself that whenever I got the, my first chance to speak to a Canadian audience, I would just thank them once more for what they did for us. So we're still grateful to them. And, and I, I had a chance to thank Joe Clark again, uh, former prime minister who was at the Carter Center in Atlanta uh, last month. And so uh, it just meant a lot to me and to the people of America. I don't think there's ever been a, a time in history when one whole people in a country helped boost the spirits of a, of a troubled uh, neighborhood country like Canada did to the United States. They should have did a movie about that. Oh, I think they did. <laughs> they did a movie about it, which was highly distorted. It was. I was going to ask you about it, your opinion it gave, of the movie. It gave the Americans all the credit when, when, they, when the key guy that played a big part in, in, uh, in the movie was only there for a day and a half. <laughs> all the work was done and all the planning was done and, and all the courage was shown by the Canadians who were our hosts for our six American hostages. And you got them out safely 
for which we're really grateful. Be kind of like the three of us on this side of the microphone taking credit for this project. We've, <laughs> <laughs> right. we've been here for an hour and a half. Same kind of idea. Well, yeah. you're welcome to come back after work. You know, <laughs> we'll bring our wives with us. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, thank you, President Carter. We accept your, your thanks with, uh, with gratitude. There's a border between us, I know, but we're brothers, uh, north, north to south. Well, good luck to you all. Well, thank, thank you, you very much for coming. Thank you. I have uh, another question for you here. You, you've spoken about um, those who receive these houses, and and you talked about them getting a key and getting a Bible. Right. And, and it sounds like it's more than bricks and mortar that you build into these people's lives. Could you speak a bit to that as well? Well, it's the beginning of a new quality of life for the homeowner. And uh, it's a time of completing a major project by the volunteers. And every time Rosa and I have given the homeowner the key and the Bible, and, uh, and they, they realize for the first time in their life that they have a home of their own and they can be proud of their home instead of ashamed of a rented place, uh, we get emotional about it. And quite often I cry, literally, uh, when we have that ceremony. And sometimes even when I describe it to the news media, I get emotional as well. And see, it means so much to me to see a life transformed for the better. And that's what Habitat does. It transforms lives for the better for people in need who are really worthy as we are to have the blessings of life. I, I hear too that you stay in touch with a lot of the people that you've given these homes to. Uh, is, there a, is there a story that comes to mind about somebody whose life really turned around that uh, you can relate? Well, uh, I think one of the families for which we built uh, one of 293 homes in one week in the Philippines always comes to mind. Uh, these were very small houses. They were just 300 square feet. 30 square meters, which is about the size of an average American living room, and the whole house was that size. And we, we worked side by side with a, a wo woman who had two dollars. $2. And uh, she, when she came in our house and saw it for the first time, just a frame built, uh, she, she cried. And I didn't know why. And I asked her where she had been living, and she said, well, I and my daughters have been living in an abandoned septic tank. Oh. Every night we crawl in this septic tank and, and cover the top of it with a sheet of plastic. And so we'll, we're having a great transformation in our, house, in our home by living in a house with a roof on it for a change. Well, that is a kind, that's the kind of uh, you know, experiences that we have almost everywhere we go. Thank you again. Mr. President, uh, you talk about the Bible, and we know that deeply religious man, and I think part of that has brought you here and being involved with Habitat for Humanity and this project that, that you've been involved with. I was watching a documentary last night on CNN called The 70s, and we know that you were president during a very tumultuous time in history. There was a lot going on. Um, and at that time, you had the opportunity to go on television and speak to Americans and tell them what you thought and give them some guidance. And I know now that you're doing that at Sunday school, you're doing it um, you know, when you're up talking to a congregation. What do you tell Americans and human beings in general now? Because I think the world is still in a very tumultuous time. What do you tell them about dealing with the world that we are living in right now? You know, I, I quote often uh, my favorite uh, school teacher, Miss Julia Coleman. In fact, I quoted her when I was inaugurated president and when I got the Nobel Peace Prize both times. 
I think I'm the only president ever mentioned a former school teacher in his inaugural address. But anyway, what Miss Judy used to tell us children in the rural community where I grew up was we, we must accommodate changing times, but cling to principles that never change. And, and I think in a troubled political era or when economics are bad or when we have setbacks in life, we, we need to remember that. We, we have to, you know, be flexible enough to, to deal with changing circumstances over which we have no control. But there are certain principles in life that we, that we should always uh, honor. And I would say that those principles, for me at least, are set in the Christian faith. You know, when we emulate the example set for us, the perfect example by Jesus Christ, uh, those are the principles that never change. You know, honesty, uh, truthfulness, uh, humility, service to others, justice, peace. Those are the things that make life worthwhile, and, and they never vary from one generation to another, although our circumstances of life might vary. So accommodate changing times with flexibility, but think to principles that never change. How close do you follow what's going on in the world politically? Close enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think close enough. I, I, you know, we keep up with the news, and, and, and I'm involved remotely now to the political world. Uh, we're, uh, my whole family are pretty much Democrats, and we, none of us voted for President Trump. But when he was elected uh, as a Republican, uh, I decided we would, should go to his inauguration. So mm -hmm. my wife and I went up to the inauguration, and, and we had a chance then to meet with the key members of his cabinet. You know, the, foreign, the, the Secretary of uh, Foreign Affairs, the Secretary of Defense and so forth, and the, and, the, and the head of social services, and who happened to be from Georgia. And so we got acquainted with all of them, and we still work side by side with them whenever possible, even though we disagree with some of the basic policies. So there again, we're accommodating changing times, <laughs> but hopefully cling to principles that don't change. Bruce Bowie, Jalen Nye, and Chris Sheets with President Carter. Thank you for joining us. Just like to just end uh, by saying that I, I had the privilege and honor of leading the devotion at the Fort Saskatchewan build on Monday, right. and I, I told them, I said, I'm no former president, but I was the <laughs> vice president of my 4-H club, and they all got very <laughs> excited about that. And uh, it was an, a thrill and an honor, and I could just feel the love there. Yeah. And that carried on, and I had a, for my first chance to see people going into their, their, their houses that are being constructed for the very yeah. first time. Destiny came in her house with us, and uh, she said, I've got windows. I've got lights, I've got my own bedroom. And for somebody like myself that's been overly blessed and always had that in my yeah, life, I, I think it, it, it teaches us all not to take that stuff for granted. And, and I always say we can learn as well about, about how lucky and blessed we are by being involved in things like Habitat for that's Humanity. Right. Well, that's right. And thank you very much for being here and, and I uh, thank you for volunteering. And if it, if it's only forgive uh, the devotional for our services, because that means a lot to us. It, it was an absolute honor, and it's all about, as your friend Garth Brooks would say, unconditional love. That's what happens That's here, true. right? And it well, starts with you and your beautiful wife. And Garth and Trisha carried on, as do all these volunteers. Yeah, we had 14,000 volunteers who joined us uh, in the Philippines. That's the biggest project. This is the second biggest project we've ever had to build 150 houses in Canada. So we congratulate all the people in Canada on 150 years of setting a wonderful example for your for your southern neighbor in the United States. 
and also for the rest of the world. Thank you very much. Thank you Thank very you, much. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.